Hello, and thank you for joining the Journal of a New Generation podcast from Waverley Abbey. In this six-part series, we are exploring how we as followers of Jesus can respond and walk through the disorientating moments in our lives and in the complexity of today's culture. We're going to look at the ancient paths of Jesus. Later in this episode, we'll hear from Damilola Mackinday from KXC Church, who shares a story of an unexpected change in a career path and challenges us with the question, will we experience the relief of looking beyond ourselves, even in the midst of our own disorientation, to partner with God in what he is doing? Sharing the good news of Jesus Christ seems much easier when life is stable and we can easily point to the blessings of God in our lives. Look how God has provided the house, the job, made a way where there was no way, etc. But it can seem a little bit more difficult to speak of the goodness of God when that goodness appears to be absent and we're uncertain of the future we're facing. The Great Commission, however, remains true regardless of our life situation. A few years ago, I was in full-time ministry as a pastor of a church community We prayed often and believed for our town to be transformed by the love of God, often teaching on evangelism and how to reach non-Christians with a message of Jesus Christ. Then we would plan community projects to practically serve our community and to meet the very real needs that was present. But soon I realized that much of our efforts were targeted towards inviting people to the church service so that people can meet with Jesus mainly through a time of worship from the stage or through the sermon that was preached. And in fact, many of us weren't actually comfortable introducing others to Jesus directly ourselves. It did get me thinking whether, where the disconnect was. And I don't think anyone would ever say that their desire was to increase church membership for the sake of it. I truly believe that the motivation was to share the life changing truth that Jesus Christ, the son of God came and lived on this earth, died on the cross for our sins so that we may know and live in the love of God for all eternity. Perhaps the disconnect comes from our limited understanding of the great commission. So Jason, again, pastor for a long time, church leader, you've taught, you've preached, you've led, you've ministered, all of that good stuff. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on the Great Commission. What does it mean to go and make disciples? I was a church planter for 25 years and and sometimes think, what would I do differently if I could go back to a younger me? So uh, one of the things I think I realized is that if you try to grow a church, it can be difficult to make disciples. But if you make disciples you will grow a church. Right. Um, the only way for people to become disciples is to have a church to support that that way of life and spirituality and finding faith uh, and doing things. Um, and so the Great Commission is about discipleship. It's about going into the world, being sent by Jesus. Um, it's his charge to the disciples. It's his charge to us as well that we are about not just knowing him, but taking up his cause in the world. Uh, And very simply, what's discipleship? What's God said to me and what am I going to do about it? You know, to be a follower. Um, It's why Jesus said it was better for him to leave. He says to the disciples, I need to go so that other people can have this experience, this invitation to follow me. 
um, and enter into a way of life with him. And that's what the Great Commission is, um, this this sending of the disciples. And we're called to the Great Commission um, to continue to participate in God's work in the world. So what does the word evangelism mean? Because we don't actually see... Well, I mean, maybe we do. I haven't done a full search on it. But as far as I know, the word evangelism isn't written in the Bible. Is that right? No. No. So where does it come from? Do you do you have an idea of where it began? Uh, well, you've got the etymology of the word and, you know, um, good news and uh, and the evangel. But evangelism is sharing faith. Now, that can take many forms. It has in history. Um, so how have we shared our faith in history? Uh, some people, um, you know, have said, you, you know, it's certain ways that you have to express things, propositions you have to believe, believe in correct things. You know, for other people in history, it's just about encounter with Jesus. And if words are important, great, use words. Um, but but that's what evangelism is. Where we get into difficulties with it is what's acceptable for evangelism. Um, and there have been some strange forms of evangelism in history. <laughs> Flirty fishing was the one I came across. Flirt convert is the one that I was taught. Was, was that the one you were taught? <laughs> yeah. You know, get some really good-looking people yeah. to attract the young people. Uh, so uh, there have been some very suspicious yes. yeah, uh, ways, suspect ways of yeah. doing doing evangelism. But if if evangelism is, you know, is like, hey, here is Jesus. Who is the cause of hope in our lives? That that's what we're called to. Um, that in moments in life with friends, family, and the world, where people have no hope or are uncertain or struggling, to to be able to ask us and say, well, what's different about you? How does that work for you? And for us to have a you know a response to that. What what does disciple mean because i guess the question around making disciples is that we are as followers of jesus i'm a disciple of jesus and we're called to make disciples so there's this uh this uh process where i am continuing to be a disciple whilst i'm making disciple and i guess sometimes it's when i don't feel like i'm being a very good disciple you know if you were to make charts of good bad how well you're doing your kpis etc when i'm not performing well as a disciple perhaps that's when i find it difficult to make disciples how does one reconcile their own journey and doubts and questions with sharing about jesus with others gosh yeah a, a lot there um i think it can get really complicated and actually, discipleship is just someone who says, God, what are you saying to me? What am I going to do about it? You do that. And then that provides opportunities for other people who want to explore that with you. Um, and, and I think we can we can get too intense about measuring what we're doing and how successful we are. Um, and instead, just to be a disciple. Um, that was that was the plan of the new testament the disciples were disciples they they passionately pursued jesus and that led to encounters with people with god that made them uh, have an opportunity to be invited into whether they wanted to follow jesus as well um there there are discipleship practices there's lots that christians have learned through history that there are certain things that if you practice them dispose you in the moment to have a reflex and a habit 
to, to respond. So, you know, so why is it good for disciple, in discipleship to, to learn scripture, memorize scripture, inhabit it, um, so that when something happens in life, instead of reaching for your favorite movie anecdote or aphorism from a friend and family or the story that's been told on the news about what life is about, you've got that story in you and it emerges from you. If you've got the habit of praying, then it means when a crisis happens, difficulty happens, your reflex, your response in that moment is to is to enter into prayer. It's a disposition. Does that mm, make sense? Yeah. I, um, I, I think back to some of the different Christian tradition, church traditions I've been part of. And one that um, really sticks to me is, I don't know if you've ever experienced, I'm sure you have, at the end of a service where there's a call, call to salvation. So you go, if this message has touched you, if there's something that's going in your heart, that's the Lord calling you to respond. And in this moment, the moment you put your hand up and say, yes, you are saved and, and you welcome to the kingdom and a new life begins. Um, and I found that really interesting and that it's not for me to kind of dissect the reasoning or what has or hasn't happened in the individual's lives. But I do wonder if that moment became bigger than a daily decision of following after Jesus. And that set up a weird sense of what a disciple means. It means someone who just said yes on a Sunday morning rather than someone who's chosen to walk you out every day. Have you, have you seen that kind of pattern evolve over time? Yeah, well, first thing is, when did that emerge in history? It's quite a modern invention uh, of, of evangelistic events to invite people forward and make decisions for Christ. doesn't mean that they're wrong. It was incredibly appropriate and powerful in the context in which it emerged. Um, so the question always is, you know, does it, is that suitable now for the context and culture we're in? And again, so, so many ways to understand how people come to an identification of relationship with Christ in our context and culture. Um, and people often don't believe things in their heads and and then belong people often belong first yeah they they build relationship they're not sure what they believe and a lot of our evangelism is predicated on a different world a different environment where you would explain truths about who god is hey do you want to believe this make a decision um you know if and that's not how evangelism's always been in history there have been other times in history where to be a Christian was incredibly dangerous and could risk you losing your life. And you would take a long period of time to be sure, not only that you believed it, but you wanted to practice it and put your life on the line. Um, and I think the world we're in at the minute, it's much more normal for people to belong before they believe. So I'll give you an example as a pastor, a guy in our church wasn't sure if he was a Christian and many of the people we baptized couldn't say when they became a Christian they didn't make a one-off decision but they realized they got to a place where they believed in Jesus now and they weren't sure where it happened but I remember with a guy said hey we're gonna and we used to pray for people he said I'm not sure I believe this I said you don't need to just <laughs> just do it yeah you know and then later had a conversation and go so when did the disciples become Christians you know Jesus sends them out and gets them to do things and they experience him and encounter him so so you know evangelism can be expressed in multiple ways uh, and the interface with discipleship and practices and what we do can be done in varied ways so living missionally is more than a moment 
of saying this is the message do you believe it or not and accepting it what does whole life what does your entire life being missional and embodying the good news and inviting others look like I think it could sort of make your head spin you. What's evangelism? What's discipleship? What's spiritual formation? <laughs> I think that's where I'm getting to. What's, There's all of these different what's models. What's mission? Yeah. You know, and it can all get incredibly complex. Yeah. And how do they interface with, with one another? Um, you know, so, so simply, if discipleship is, what's God said to me and what am I going to do about it? Right. Right? Uh, there are multiple ways to get to a place to feel able to, to do that. Um, but understanding that discipleship, I think, is the, the Great Commission tells us it's about mission. Yeah. It's not that mission is optional. Um, our mission is not to build churches. Our mission is to help other people encounter Jesus. And in such a way that it brings God's salvation and restoration and renewal and justice and all the other things that, that God wants to do. Uh, and I think fundamentally what I found for myself, for you know, hundreds and hundreds of people over the years in time as a pastor. Why engage in mission? Mission often becomes something that only really serious Christians do. Yes. You know, I've got yeah. Jesus yeah. and then maybe I'll take part in what he does. Yeah. And then maybe I'll take part in church. The whole thing's all mixed up. And when I say it's all all mixed up, it's it's getting to a place to understand that taking part in God's mission in the world brings God's best for us. So I, I would express it this way. It's not that I find the best marriage for me and pray that God gives me someone that I can be married to well, and then we might, if we have time, engage in this idea of mission. It's like, no, if if we pursue God's purposes with one another together in the world, we will have the best relationship and the greatest marriage possible. So, I mean, one of the ways personally I express it with my wife, she's my partner in the gospel. But where she's my partner in the gospel and where she's my best friend, begin and end, I don't know. Yeah. And mission is a way of life. It yeah. is life. Yeah. It is the basis for everything. And that's why I think Jesus says, hey, you know, all those things that we obsess about and worry about, our jobs, our homes, our relationships, seek first the kingdom. And all these things will be added to you um, and they're integrated into mission so all, all that to say i think often we think mission is this big scary thing and the great commission but actually it's about participating in life with the way that god made us and then he brings the best for us and you get to share that with those around you yeah i have a story uh, a few months ago i was talking to a friend He's not a believer and um, was talking to him about kind of various challenges I'm facing, specifically financially. And then he had this moment where he paused me and said, but Charlie, you, God always provides for you. And I was like, what a Christian thing to say. In my head, I thought, uh, yeah, he does. And he'd overheard me saying to him over the years, you know what, this was happening and, and this happened and oh, God is so good. He's just like come through. And I would just kind of naturally share that. and. It was amazing how he reminded me of the truth that I'd forgotten, but I'd spoken out to him. And I thought, gosh, that that really is, isn't it? In my moment of doubt, somehow they were able to pull the truth out of me and remind me of it, which I thought was was really, really beautiful. So around that, I guess some of the questions would be, you know, we 
We tend to live in a world where doubts and confusion has to be hidden away. I think for me, I know that, uh, again, having been a pastor, having been around the church context for a long time, bring your doubts to a small group and saying, is God real? Because I'm not seeing him. Does he really answer prayer? Is he even listening? It doesn't always seem like the safest places to do that, perhaps because we're afraid ourselves of anyone asking that question. Um, so what do we do with our doubts and how does that interlink with um, mission and sharing Jesus with others? Well, firstly, it's all part of the mission. So, you know, look at the Bible. Serious Christians have serious doubts. I love, as a pastor, I used to say, if you looked at the Psalms, one minute, you know, David's like, God, you're amazing. I'll never doubt you. The next minute, God, where are you? Where have you gone? Yeah, it doesn't make me feel a lot better about being neurotic. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah ex exactly. Yeah. And that's what one of the rich richnesses of our... So again, depending on our tradition, depending on our Christian friends around us, um, you know, the deconstruction happens a lot. And we get to a place where the faith that we've received from other people stops working. And that's and and what we need is someone to come alongside us and say that's normal. That growing in faith, discipleship, mission, everything with God, is about finding your own faith, not just that you've received from others, but one that works for you with God in the context you're in. Um, and again, that means we sh we want to be sharing with one another. This is normal, you know. Doubts, mystery, questions. Um, and there is quite a, there's a thing called faith stage development uh, and, and an understanding that people go from a very simple faith, life starts to become complex. You know that thing where you go, I did it the other day, I said to my wife, I still say, I'm really tired of having to grow up. You know, it never, <laughs> it never, never stops. And I remember my kids going through that. Yeah. But you want a grown up faith. But that's known through history that there is what's called like a second naivety there is we can start off naive in our relationship with god which often we do and then life and world gets complicated things happen to us the unexpected happens to us but on the other side of that can be a simplicity in relationship with god that's able to navigate the most complex environments we're in you see it with jesus you see it with heroes of the faith in in history uh, and sudden, and what that then means is with one another, it's not, we don't need to be scared of doubts or questions or struggles or suffering because other people have gone before us in that. And we can learn from those as well as Christians today who are navigating those things. I find that so comforting to go, it's normal. It's normal to have doubts. And I'm I'm so glad it is because there's so many doubts all the time and to the point where you think I should know better. I think when I'm journaling, a lot of the times it starts out with, I'm in this place again of like, I don't get it, God. I don't know what's happening. I'm confused. And then it ends with, I should know better. I should know it by now. I've been a Christian for 20, over 20 years. I've been a church leader. I've done all of this stuff. And so you go, I should know better. And I'd I'd love to hear your thoughts on where does that word should come from? Like, wh what is it in us that says, I should know better? I should know better. Well, it depends if other people put that pressure on us and tell us there's things that we should do and shouldn't do. Um, ultimately, we, we ought to encourage one another that it's what has God asked of us? What's the invitations he's made to us? Those, those are the things... Um, one of my favorite quotes, Anthony DeMello, don't give in to the demands of Christ, give in to the demands of your love for Christ. 
quite wow. a, a stunning phrase. Yeah. In other words, there's you know, you Jesus doesn't want us to follow him because of a bunch of shoulds and rules and regulations. That's pretty clear in scripture. So don't give in to the demands of Christ as if there is this demanding way of being, because that's not life-giving. But give in to the demands of your love for Christ, Antony de Mello said. So in other words, so then we have the question, and I would do this for myself and people that I was discipling, where are you at with Jesus? What 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 do you love about him? You know, it's okay to say that I'm not sure if I love him at all. You know, but if you say that you do love him and you want more of him, how are you going to give in to the demands of your love? Because that's how we do the rest of life. You know, my love for my wife, my love for my kids, my love for my job. Um, it's about love and and desire. Does that make? Does, yeah. that make, does it help? Yeah, I love the way that they can coexist: the doubts and your love for Christ. And actually, these are the doubts that I have, but these are the things I love about Jesus. And that can coexist healthily as you go through that journey, which is really beautiful. Mm. On the swinging pendulum of my Christian faith, I've gone from active, I've got to preach the gospel, I've got to grab everyone I can and say, Jesus loves you, this is what he's done on the cross, you've got to hear this message in a kind of anxiety-inducing way. Um, or I've gone, you know what, I just need to live my life and let people watch and see the goodness of God kind of naturally be seen in it. I'm sure there's somewhere in between that I'm not quite hitting. So having talked about evangelism, mission, discipleship, and all of these big words and big meanings, just sum up for me, what is the mission as Christians? Great question. I think I would sum it up as this and and have done. And, and let's start, I would start with yourself. God wants you to discover what he made you for and created you for. And the best way to do that is to participate in his plans for you in creation and his mission. And that, that's what that's not selfish. That's you will you will never plumb the depths who God made you to be in Jesus Christ. And that's exciting and you will then explore that. And the way that you get into that, until you know what that is, how do you how do you take those first steps? That can be quite overwhelming. Then I would say you just participate. You put out the chairs, you care for the poor, you pray for the sick. We, we don't have to figure out the basics. And it's in the doing of the basics of mission that the Lord starts to speak to us and we start to discover our particular calling and gifting within mission. I got to speak with Damilola McIndey uh, a little while ago about her journey that she's currently on. She thought she was going to become a barrister and now her life looks very different. And it is that exact thing that Jace was talking about, figuring out what is it that I'm called to do and called to be more importantly. And that's what we get to hear about next. Hello, Damilola, thank you so much for joining me. How are you doing? Good, thank you. This whole series has been about kind of how do we orient our lives in the midst of the curveballs. I mean, so many confusing curveballs hitting our lives each and every day. And I was speaking to a guest uh, the other day and they were like, because I said, oh, can you share a, a moment of chaos or a moment of disorientation? And, and they just looked at me and laughed. was like, yeah, every day. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm so like, I feel like there's a collective like disorientation with felt and with COVID and everything. But I wanted to hear your story of kind of particular moments or a mm. moment where, um, yeah, you were like, this is it, this is it. And then just something 
came from out of nowhere and you're like, ah, oh, did not see that coming. So yes. yeah, what, what is that moment for you? I mean, similarly to the last person, it's not a moment. <laughs> There's many moments. And right. in one sense, the past few years in my life have been one extended moment of okay. disorientation. That's Now, a long, long moment. It really is. <laughs> Now that said, like, it's not, that is not the only story over the past few years of my life by any measure. And that's some of the kindness and the brilliance of God that even amidst disorientation, there's loads of other things that are going on. That is certainly my testimony, but it is like, there is credence to saying, no, there is some disorientation in this past season and current season. So we're going to need to rewind to Damanola back in the day, 10-year-old Damanola, uh, so that we can understand this present moment. So when I'm 10 years old, I am, well, in this moment, I'm in my parents' church. My parents have been church leaders just about as long as I've known them. We are in Dublin, Ireland, and they are leading, and we're in the context of a worship service we have an American guest female preacher come through and she is like blowing my mind. As a I'm preacher. sensing fire. I'm sensing so, fire. So different stylistically. <laughs> so like fire was just like part and parcel of my brain right. growing up because I grew up in a Nigerian church and that's uh -huh. how we roll. Yes. Um, but this lady was just like, she was bringing something different and I was fascinated. So I was like in the choir um, on that Sunday in the children's choir with the adults And anyway, so we get through the sermon, I'm locked in, and then she gives a prophetic word to me at the end. So she'd been like looking at me at some point towards the end, and I kind of stupid me, thought we were in a bit of a staring contest. So then I was just like staring back at her, and then she calls me up onto the stage, and I think I'm about to get in trouble. So I'm like, Lord Jesus, I'm really, really sorry. But it was all good, Jesus had my back. And it turns out she was like gonna give me this prophetic word. And anyway, long story short, in the midst of it, she said many things. One of the things that she said was that she saw me working as a lawyer. Now, when she said that, there was like an immediate resonance as can sometimes be the case with certain prophetic words. You're like, okay, you're not just speaking to my head, you're speaking to my gut. Um, and that had kind of tapped into things that people around me had said. So I am currently a gobby person and I have been for a long time. And one of the things that people would say when I was growing up was you should become a lawyer because you're so gobby and you should put your big <laughs> mouth to some good use in the world. Right, um, right. So that had already been something that had been flying around in my consciousness and I had an auntie in Nigeria who was like um, training as a lawyer. So that had been there and it was a possible path I was considering going forward. But in this moment, it felt like some of the musings of my heart were meeting the intentions of God. And I was like, oh, wow, this is a thing. So then for like the next, over the course of the rest of my life, from that point, this is like part of the banner story of my life. Damn Lord, I was going to become a lawyer. So when people ask me what I want to do when I grow up, This is one of the things that I say as I go through the education system, I'm making various choices that align with the fact that God told me I'm going to become a lawyer and um, I decide what kind of law I want to practice. I do a master's in it to get a bit more like um, ingrained into it, get it ingrained into me. And then I moved to London in 2018. So potted history of my life, born in London to Nigerian parents, grow up in Ireland and come back to London to do the bar. So that's 2018 and while I start at and like I get sent from Ireland at this point Northern Ireland to London with like a host of prophetic words that are basically like this is the next step in the journey that the Lord has for you this is where like things that he's spoken over you will come into fulfillment and this is a season of focusing on being the best barrister that you can be and that's exactly like what's 
what's framing moving to London for me is the Lord has spoken something over my life and I am aligning with that word. And there's many parts of like this stage of training and qualification that are very daunting. It's like a three part stage to become a barrister. And the one before me after the bar is pupillage. And like, yeah, there's hilarious supply demand issues when it comes to pupillage. So all of that is before me, but I have this sense from the Lord, this word from the Lord that's propelling me forward and the thing that I'm needing to come back to and like stake my faith in and speak over and like have that to be framing my reality more than the stats on like what pupillage rates are like. Um, so this is like the rough and tumble of a year of my life. At the same time, I started my church in King's Cross and that's really exciting and God is speaking lots and doing lots. And it feels like there's these two parallel tracks that are somewhat in tension because I've come to London to like, honor the word that's been spoken over my life. Yeah, I'm in this space and I'm like wanting to be fully involved and fully invested. But like this this year course that I'm on is like totally absorbing. So it's like, okay, Lord, am I dishonoring you for like getting a bit more stuck in here? What's, what's going on? Also trying to work that out. And then I, the people who say long story short, just say it to like get permission to keep saying their long story. <laughs> just say long story, long story. And just carry on. We love it. We, we're coming into land. I promise uh-huh. in Jesus' name, we're coming Amen. into land. Amen. And then anyway, I do the year. I come to the critical point of like making applications. I make 14 applications, which is like broadly standard. And all of them come back denied, unsuccessful. And that's like... <laughs> a wild week in my life as so like they they don't all come in in one moment so like initially we get the first few in and we're like my god only needs one like exactly we out here we're gonna be fine breakthrough is coming in jesus name yes lord so like we're coming through my parents are praying for me my entire village is praying for me like this is like a community project out here oh the prophecy was so public as well right yeah and And so it isn't just between you and god this like secret thing it's like the whole church everyone the whole of nigeria is like (laughs) i am behind you you will be a barrister in jesus name we are coming we are coming with a force right Amen. This isn't a text message. This isn't an obscure thing done in a corner. The Lord's like, I'm about to publish this to the world. And I'm like, right, "Right, amazing. You go on and do that now. (laughs) So then I like get my final unsuccessful notification and I'm like (laughs) lost.com. Yeah, I I wasn't laughing then, I'll tell you that much. And then just, yeah, communicating that to my parents, communicating that to all the people who were praying for me, um, having, yeah, just unsuccessful, 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 failure, 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 and needing to process all of that. Um, and so, yeah, that's like continued to be a thread in the past few years of my life. So in one sense, in that moment, one door was, as it, as it were, getting or ostensibly getting very firmly shut in my face. But alongside that, there was this marked favor around what was going on at church. And it seemed like one door was being shut. And like, is that a timed being shut? Is this a forever shut? Like navigating that, but there's this other door that's open in a sense of the Lord of like, trust me with the big picture, but go take the step that I'm putting before you now. And there was real joy to that because like my heart was moving in that direction anyway. Then also a lot of confusion. <laughs> um, and that's like, yeah, that's been some of the past five years of my life and some of my current reality is trying to navigate 
what's been going on in that, what the Lord's doing, what, how, how I explain what I'm doing in the world has changed so much. So from growing up and like that 14 year stint from 10 to 24, every single time I expressed what my intentions for my future were or what I was currently doing, it was always impressive. What do you do? What are you doing in uni? I'm studying law. So impressive. What are you doing? I'm doing a master's in human rights. So impressive. What are you doing? I'm doing the bar. So impressive to then like, Oh, it takes me seven minutes to explain what I do for work and people's <laughs> eyes are glazing over and I'm like trying to work out my sense of my own identity as I'm dealing with their own sense of what they're hearing and like okay where is my confidence in life actually rooted because I've professed something all of my life but it's being tested in this moment I mean I can relate so much to that when people ask me what do you do for a living the worst thing is going to a wedding because basically people don't really want to find out the depths of your testimony I mean Christians one thing but they're just like hey what do you do and they've got a nice glass of wine or a pint they're really just being polite and what they want to hear is like oh I'm a lawyer or I work in a bank or yeah I'm a graphic designer it's simple mm, yeah but then when you're like oh I I'm a prayer missionary but the way that I say it with a question mark and then they go are you <laughs> And then I'm like, yes, yes, I'm a prayer missionary. And then you say it a little bit more confidently, but still questioning whether that's true. And then they're like, okay. And then they go, what is that? And you think, gosh, I should have just said, I'm a lawyer. <laughs> it would have been much easier. And then repent for lying afterwards. But here I am living in the middle of nowhere at a place called Waverley Abbey in a prayer community, having studied law as well. So I can relate so much to that story. Just going back a little bit, when the when you began to feel the tension between everything that and and I guess it wasn't just the prophecy that was he helping you towards that journey of becoming a barrister it became your dream as well right so it wasn't just like I'm doing this for God it was your heart and your desire something came alive and aligned with the word confirmed by others etc and you journeyed that for several years in studying education etc so when this other thing that wasn't to do with law started to grow how, what, how did it come up? Like, talk to me about your heart, the emotions around shifting from one thing that you thought, I love this, this is what I'm going to be doing, and then something else coming in. Yeah. So, like, you'll need to draw me back to the emotion point because I'm going to, like, go big picture before coming okay. back down to that. But sure. in one sense, while it, in, like, on one accounting is a huge plot twist, in another sense, it totally isn't. So... From, so alongside that, there are, other, there are other prophetic words that have been spoken over my life, which have kind of led to this sort of parallel track understanding in my head. So alongside the word on law and stuff to do with like that realm of being, there were also prophetic words around being in ministry. And I was like, this kind of makes no sense, but it's also like, big picture, not my issue. So fundamentally, what I need to do is like, attend to the thing before me now, try and take like the opportunities that I have to do both of these things when they arise. But fundamentally, I can't resolve this tension. If the Lord is telling me about it, it's his bag to sort out. And we'll and we'll just keep going. And because they've been spoken like alongside each other over the course of time, just that sense, like there've been times when I've tried to sit down and figure it out and I'm like, I actually just can't do this. And I don't really think this is the invitation of like this word of prophecy. So I need to align with it, but I'm not meant to manufacture it or like be the architect of its realization. 
So I was like, okay, fine. There's these two things going on. We'll trust the Lord with how it's going to work out. I did think at minimum that I would at least fully qualify as a lawyer because that's the most secure position to leave things in. So where I'm at now is kind of like maximum investment with like least reward. <laughs> and I was like, but, but basically, and like my my wonderful parents, right? Like they they had a picture of my life that they were pursuing and the incredible investments that they've made for that to all happen. And the sacrifice. Yeah. Like un, un, unbelievably so. And like diverting money for our entire family into my into my education. Yeah. So like, yeah, there's 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 been buckets of emotions in that and emotions moving in very different directions of like oh sorry just to summarize that point so some of how I would describe my sense of like the big picture of my life is to do with like faith in public life or like proclaiming Jesus in in public so I've grown up with a very vibrant faith I've been in a world around me where it's not been easy all the time to see the points of translation between that very vibrant faith in the local context or the home context with the world around me and some of the like burning passion in my heart is to see that like my faith in Jesus manifested and manifested in me like singing in the streets and like sharing Jesus with like the cashier at a desk somewhere but also to see that manifested in the policies that govern this nation and to see how like life works in this nation and the nations of the world that's that's the scope of the wow. <laughs> of the vision. So like I, like both of these threads are still in place in my life. But in terms of how the picture that I had in my mind, and to some extent the picture that I felt God gave me, this has been like a huge tussle of like okay, how much was like what the Lord said, and how much was the picture that I constructed around that, and what because I'm definitely mourning I was like I mean I was definitely mourning then for like a solid week and like mourning has come back to the fore at different times since then when there's been another knock or another moment of disorientation and I'm like well Lord I shouldn't even be in this situation right now like so I'm not I'm not a happy bunny right now um and that sense of like okay what what of this is me being frustrated because the Lord has led me on as it led me along as it were or how much of this is like I attached a meaning or a picture to what he said that wasn't what he said and he's taking me through this prophet this process not in abandoning that vision but actually clarifying it and clarifying my heart and like ridding me of the stuff that isn't aligned with it so that as I step into it what I'm pursuing is not my empire under the guises of God's kingdom, but it is actually God's kingdom. And that's meant some real deep heart questions and like back and forth, which again, I'm still in the midst of. What surrender actually means, right? Because yes. it's that thing of, I'm not going to manifest it. I'm not going to architecture it. But then in your story, for example, it's, but as long as there's some reward that I can see, then it, there's a minimum criteria of just a minimum return on investment would be great. And then we kind of <laughs> picture what that looks like. You're yes. like, oh, it's not even that right now. But it's really fascinating hearing your story. And I'm sure you've had this already. But as you were talking about kind of, I don't know how these two marry up. And I thought it was going to be this. And now in, I'm in this. And then you started to speak about the mission of you know, worshipping God and sharing his goodness with the cashier all the way to policies and stuff. Like, isn't it funny how the person who isn't in the story is able to go, they're like, 
I don't know how, but I can definitely see God's bringing them together. Yes. I've only just met you. I met you at the wildfires for like three minutes. I think I turned around and I think it was you standing behind me and a bit of a fanboy moment. Like, your, your preach was amazing. Thank you me, so much. Me right back at you. You just done a fire seminar with a few others. And I was like so blessed by what you shared. And so was I was like, oh, it's, it's, it's that person I saw. And then we had like two minute chat and then, you know, loud worship. We're like, yeah, I'm going to go worship. And then we connected over email. And I love that hearing your story of, Gosh, it sounds so perfectly well that it's going to come together in a beautiful, magnificent way that glorifies God. But when we're in it, that's hard, right? For you to see, for me to see in my own life and the beauty of conversations like this to be able to go, wow, that's awesome. Yeah, that's really um, encouraging. That's really encouraging. But so going back to that, I am, um, yeah, the whole two, you spoke a little bit about like the, your heart for others to come to know Jesus, to proclaim his goodness, to love him but to love him by sharing him because you know he's good. And I'm sure you've had that. And and you seem like a confident person. And you spoke earlier about when you were younger, people basically said, you're gobby, go into law and stuff. So I'm guessing you would have been very open about your faith and be like, this is God, I believe in God, you know, this. But when these curveballs came, quite publicly, right? So prophesied over you, you're going to be a barrister in Jesus' name. You're going to stand for the oppressed using law and all of that kind of stuff. And then that public kind of um, affirmation with public display of disorientation, because people who've known you for years will be like, so how's it going? What they're saying is, what's it like being a barrister without knowing the journey you've been on? And suddenly you're having to go, well, actually, (laughs) let's take you back a little bit. Has it changed your perspective how to share G- like has it changed your confidence or method or your framing of sharing the love of christ in the day-to-day having met with such curveball in your life that's such an interesting question has it changed how i share jesus in one sense i yeah i say ultimately no there are some things in the past few years that have changed how i share Jesus, but not if anything. So for me, the key thing, I share Jesus the most when he is most real to me. And there is something about a moment of disorientation where Jesus has to be real to you or else. Like that's like, there is no, it's kind of like a, I will either resent Jesus for not holding up to what I think was his end of the bargain in this moment and become more distant from him or I'll realize like do you know what sink or swim Jesus and I are ride or die and I just need to like I I just need to seek refuge in the reality of who he is more than in my perception of how my life should be going to get me through this moment and as I do that as Jesus is more real to me I still have huge questions I still feel like a twinge of shame when I'm describing what I'm doing in my life and I'm like oh well people just think I'm doing this stuff because I failed at the thing that I wanted to do and needing to grapple with that sense of like I know that this is what the Lord has for me, but it does kind of sound like my X Factor sub story of how my life hasn't gone the way I want it to go. And fundamentally, all those feelings of like, 
yeah, my own shame or like shame that I receive from interacting with people and my sense of how they perceive me. All of that needs to be laid at the feet of Jesus. I need to see who he is afresh. And when I'm seeing who Jesus is afresh, I'm like drawn out from myself into the worship of him. And because the world around me is so on Jesus's radar, when I'm drawn out of myself in worship, I am also drawn out to consider other people. And so for me, some of the dynamic of like how my life with Jesus has been a missed disorientation is, I'd say like, there's like two things I feel the Lord tells me over and over again. One, that he loves me and two, to get over myself. And looking around me and seeing like, okay, who... While I'm wallowing, I still have I still have a hope that will not fade. Even though I'm finding this moment really hard, there's this like protective safety net cushion of the reality of who God is that I have all the time. And all around me right now are people who ostensibly are getting on better at life than I am, but they do not have the reality of fellowship with the living God front and center in their lives. So am I gonna stay here? lamenting how things are not going the way I want them to, or I'm actually going to like partner with Jesus, look beyond myself and actually experience the relief of looking beyond myself, even amidst my own disorientation to partner with what he's doing. And that's been some of the like back and forth of when I'm really, really wallowing in self-pity and like misery and whatnot, there will usually be a moment when the Lord is like, you need to snap out of this as it were i'm sure there's a more pastoral way to express that but this is some of how the lord and i roll and he'll he'll just he'll just put someone on my radar or enable me to consider something so like recently i was chatting to someone on the train and she she was a christian as it turned out in the course of conversation but in the course of chat she shared about basically like a significant health struggle with her two-year-old child like this child has been in the world how long and they've already had moments of really being like back and forth as to whether they're gonna survive and just those moments of like do you know what damna there's an entire world around you and you can either like navel gaze at how your genie in a bottle isn't doing things the way you want him to or you can actually like appreciate the kindness of god over you and also like know what it is to journey into someone else's pain because of your limited but your real experience of pain and also to genuinely rejoice with others and to try and share jesus in the various ways that they afford you because he's more real to you even than this disorientation that you're experiencing. Yeah. yeah, that's so beautiful. I'm hearing that that the disorientation actually is the fuel to get drawn into the heart of God, isn't it? Either it places a restriction or a, um, it distances you, or it's the very fuel to push you further into the heart of God and the love and the kindness and the compassion of him. But that's the choice, isn't it? The choice is, in that moment of chaos, where do you go with that chaos? Like, where do you go with that? And as you're drawn to the heart of God, then of course you see his heart towards you, but his heart towards all the brokenness around the world and the beauty to be found in it. And I think I just love that balance of crying hard with people because you've been through the same chaos and disorientation, but proclaiming the goodness of God. And they're not mutually exclusive. Usually I think they happen at the same time, right? It's like, God, I'm lamenting, but I'm rejoicing you are good. Like that's the most powerful times of lament and rejoicing, which is amazing. My mind is going straight to like David as you as you say that, because there's like something of this entire narrative that like I can see um 
paralleled somewhat in his experience or like some key overlap. There's a huge promise that's proclaimed over him when he's like young. And then he at one point feels like he's stepping further into it when he has this like conquest over Goliath. And then we have this huge plot twist where it seems he's getting closer and closer to what Lord's promised him. And then he's like running on, running for his life, moving further and further away from what God has promised him ostensibly. And yet even in that place, he's like super confused. And we see him journaling this and processing this in so many of the Psalms, this like utter disorientation but crucially he's processing that with the lord and it is that that makes it worship not how beautiful it sounds not how comfortable it is but the fact that he's like fundamentally even more than this word is the presence of god to me and i don't have the manifestation of this word but i do have the presence of god i'm going to root myself in that and so while that's happening for him we see as the story unfolds that there's this like band of men who've been rejected, who've been cast aside, who are not like seen as worthy to anyone else. But because of like where David is placed in this wilderness and his own sense of disorientation, he's like a magnet for these people. And yet as they come to him and as they journey with him, there's this rehabilitation of sorts going on. They get given purpose and they come to see someone who is processing his high moments and his lowest moments in like the context of the worship of the living God. And this is some of what cements his reign when he does finally get to that place. In the moment, it feels like wasted time, but it's actually like such potent time and it becomes far more about himself. And these like, it becomes about this community that's being formed simply because he's able to process his pain with the Lord. And when I'm like going through it, I'm like, do you know what, David? you're a really helpful example to have right now. <laughs> you're like, thank you so much, David. Thank you. I love that. It does bring a word of caution that when one is disorientated, you're likely to attract others who are also disorientated. What you do with the community that's built around you, we will answer to, we will answer for to God, right? And so God's like, I'm going to entrust you with other people who are hurting and broken and disorientated because I believe you're going to be the, the encourager in worshiping God. And so you're seeing these people. And so there's a real thing about communities of pain and suffering because we see it, don't we? Those who have been hurt by the same kind of thing are drawn together. So they're able to share the pain. But then with that relationship that's built, will you worship God? Will you point to God? Will you encourage each other and say, guys, I know it's tough. I know it's hard to see the goodness right now, but this is who the word of God says that he is. And we'll stand on that. I'm just going to, I'm just prophesying right now. I, I, I think that's what God is doing. Like the generation that's hurting, God's like, I'm entrusting you with pain. I'm entrusting you with disorientation because I believe that you are going to draw others who are hurting and broken and bring them into the presence of God. That's leadership, right? That's powerful loving each other i love that oh i feel so <laughs> i feel like we're just preaching i love it it's so good <laughs> i like this is church right now Amen. Yeah, yeah. that's so so good i oh, love that on oh. like being trusted with i think that language is bang 
on being entrusted with pain, being entrusted with an unconventional path. Not everyone can withstand to trust God amidst the curveballs of life. And yet there's not a single person who makes it into the Hebrews 11 list who doesn't have an unconventional path, an unconventional story with the Lord. And to be people of the spirit and to steward the power of God and the love of God and the knowledge of God in the way that we need and our culture needs and the world around us needs. Like we're gonna need more than empty platitudes. We're gonna need power. And yet that power comes from trusting God, like with some of the like most core and intimate parts of yourself, trusting him with it. And in the midst of that, the Lord says, you are a safe pair of hands for me to pour out my power, to pour out my holiness, to pour out my justice. You will steward this not for personal gain, but you'll do it for the sake of the world because you've let me refine you in this furnace of pain. I'm just stirred right now. Mm, amen. <laughs> I'm so stirred. Oh, thank you, Jesus. I love it when you're just having a conversation. I say just, this is fellowship, right? And then God's like, let's just take your hearts towards the truth of what he's wanting to bring along. And um, and that's that's so rich. That's so rich. Thank you so, so much for your time, Absolutely. for your wisdom, and for, thank you for your disorientation. <laughs> I don't Thank know at what point I know I don't know what point you're gonna be like, yeah, me too. I love this right now. Right now you'll be like, aha, not quite there yet. Not quite ready to laugh about. <laughs> like with tears rolling down my face, like, ha ha ha. But thank you, God, for entrusting us. Not just me and you, but everyone around the world, Christian sons and daughters who are hurting, who are confused, who are disoriented. Thank you for entrusting us with a moment that draws other vulnerable, oppressed, hurting, broken, that your love and your power may be poured out through that. Yeah, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 No, thank thank you. you. This has been so wonderful. Really and um, yeah, look forward to seeing you at some point soon. Amazing. God bless. Take care. Bye-bye. The place we're in right now, even with the doubts and confusion, is the one where God is best able to shape us and show himself through our lives. Maybe the first step we can take is to be honest with God and simply remain open to the unfolding story. This podcast was brought to you by the supporters of Waverley Abbey and you can find out more at waverleyabbey.org. Don't forget to subscribe, review and share this podcast. Thank you.